Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, take my lips and speak through them. Take our minds and think through them. Take our hearts and set them on fire with love for your Son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we continue through Lent, we are continuing our series on some selected psalms that we're using, and we've walked through several different types of psalms, and now we've come to Psalm 116, and one of the reasons I wanted you to look at the Pew Bible and not the bulletin is the Book of Common Prayer version in the bulletin is a little different than the Pew Bible, so I hope you're turned to that uh, Psalm 116 in the Pew Bible, because I am going to be making some references to that. Um, But this particular psalm, Psalm 116, is a psalm of thanksgiving or praise. It's called a Hillel psalm, which is a psalm of praise and thanksgiving. And it's really interesting because, think about it just for a minute. When you hear the word thanksgiving, what do you usually think of? November, right? Thanksgiving Day. When you hear thanksgiving, that's oftentimes what we immediately, especially when we're, you know, in the fall, October, November, December, that's what we think of is Thanksgiving Day. Why? Well, because it's the only day people are really thankful, you know? It's true for some. Some people need that day. They need an excuse, set aside, okay, today I'm finally going to be thankful, right? The rest of the year, forget it. And all of us know people like that. That they don't have an attitude or a disposition of being grateful, of being thankful people. They just always seem to be surly. Nothing seems to please them. They live by expectations or even demands. And most of us know people like that. It's really interesting. This past week, my wife Meredith was on the telephone with a relative. I won't tell you who it is because it could maybe lead to a conversation that might be weird. Um, But anyway, she's talking to this relative, and while they're talking, she starts telling Meredith of a story about acquaintances who came to visit. Not friends. She referred to them as acquaintances. We really didn't know them that well, but they found out where we were, and it's a nice area, so they decided to come for a visit. Well, while they were there, um, we won't talk about everything that she told Meredith, but one thing she did say, one thing she did say is that they had an accident, and there was a mess, and they didn't deal with it. And they went out, and this relative discovered the mess and decided, you know, I better just clean it up. So she did. She cleaned it up. The people came back. No acknowledgement. No thanks. No recognition that anything had happened. And they announced, we'd like to stay an extra day. (laughs) Isn't that interesting? 
But there are people who not only have expectations or desires, wants, but they're ungrateful when they get what they got, and then they want more. It's like we say sometimes to people, what have you done for me lately? Right? I'll never forget one of my uh, seminary professors, or it was somebody I worked with, said to me at one point, Greg, remember, you're only as good as your last sermon. Because people have expectations. And I wonder sometimes, do we fall into that? Because it is so easy in our culture. Our culture that conditions us to want and to have and to demand and to expect and to be entitled. And after all, shouldn't we have pleasure and happiness in our lives and get what we want? That subconsciously, if not overtly, that's in our lives. And when we don't get what we expect or what we want, we become ungrateful. We even become difficult. And how we can fall into that so easily. You know, if, if you read Scripture, throughout Scripture, what you will see over and over again is an admonition or actually the modeling of someone who's experienced real conversion. And when you experience real conversion in your heart, that you really understand the love of God. You really understand the blessing of His grace and mercy. That you end up having this disposition of being grateful, of being thankful for the blessings of your life, even amidst the challenges of your life. Because that's part of what we see in this psalm too. Let me just recount to you some of the scriptures that we run into that bring this idea of being grateful or thankful either because the Lord has answered prayers or in spite of the fact that maybe He didn't do it our way in our time. If you were to look ahead in Luke's Gospel, we have our first reading from Luke 10. Luke 17, there's a story about ten lepers. And if you understand leprosy back during Jesus' day, lepers were outcasts. They had no hope for really doing much with their life, their life and they weren't allowed to go to the temple to worship because they were considered unclean. So they were outcasts in worship, they weren't considered worthy, and they were outcasts in society because they couldn't be around people. And Jesus heals ten lepers. How many came back to show thanks? One. One. Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5, Rejoice always. Pray constantly. Give thanks in all circumstances. Not whether you like it or not. That this grateful heart, this disposition of thanksgiving and even joy should come out of us for all the blessings. It doesn't mean that life is always easy. It doesn't mean we don't have conflict or struggle or pain or grief. That's not the point. But that when the Spirit is working in us, that slowly but surely the Lord causes that joy to emerge. And when that joy begins to bubble up, then we experience that thanksgiving. That God is gracious and God is merciful. 
And we see it. When I was a kid, my parents had, you know, on the coffee table, the family Bible, which we were not allowed to touch. Right? But... But I had one of these children's Bibles. I remember I was five, six, seven years old. I don't remember exactly how old I was. And it was real thin, and it just had a few stories in it. And I'll never forget, I saw the picture. Not a photograph, a picture of Job. And the way the, the author or the illustrator depicted Job. And if you don't know the story of Job... It's really an amazing story. And when you're a little kid, and you're reading everything that happened to Job, I mean, my first reaction was, oh my gosh, I never want to be like that guy. Because it's really awful what he experiences. It's interesting what Job says. Right after he loses everything materially and his children... He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He goes on to say, shall we receive the good at the hand of God and not receive the bad? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. I'm not sure all of us would be there. Job 13, so he will kill me. I have no hope, but I will defend I will defend his ways. It's interesting. The way Job talks about the Lord, his faith, his faithfulness. Let me read to you probably the one most powerful that is often read at funerals. Now remember, Job, by this point, not only has lost everything, now he's losing his health. He's got all kinds of health issues. And he writes, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and that at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, then in my flesh I shall see God, whom I shall see on my side, and my eyes behold him who is my friend and not a stranger. In other words, no matter what happens to me in this life, I've experienced the blessing. I had everything. And I've lost everything. But I know one day that I will be with Him forever. That in the end, He will be standing as God, as Lord, and I will be with Him. And that's what Job holds on to. And that's why amidst the challenges of our lives, when we have that confidence that we come around, that we come around and we're able to be thankful and we're able to be joyful no matter what the challenges are in life. It doesn't doesn't mean we won't be experiencing challenges. But it does mean that the Lord will bring us through and that we can have confidence and rest in Him. Confidence of the depth of His love. Confidence in His forgiveness and His mercy and His grace. And so with that, we come to Psalm 116. 
which begins with, and this is the most important thing, I love the Lord. Simply, I love the Lord. If you really understand what this faith is that we are called to, it is simply, I love the Lord. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That means that we are totally invested, totally committed. Back in February, I wrote an article for our monthly newsletter, The Messenger, and I talked about Valentine's Day and talked about love and how we all think about love, and we misunderstand love. Because we think love is all about feeling good and happy and experiencing pleasure and everything's hunky-dory. And if you look at the consistent picture of God's love in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the words that you read of what God's love is, is it's long-suffering and it's patient and it's forgiving and it's sacrificial. That kind of love is a challenge. Because that's not necessarily what we want or what we think of when we think about love. And yet when the Lord's Spirit lives in us, when we understand the gift of God in Jesus Christ and who He is and why He came, that He came to lay down His life on the cross in our place for our sin. To show us the depth of God's love. To bring us forgiveness. To bring us the power of the Holy Spirit so that we might love as He loves. That's the gift of the Gospel. That's really what's meant to happen in our lives. And this whole notion and idea, I mean, we have a perfect illustration today. Today is St. Patrick's Day. What do you think of when you think of St. Patrick's Day? Green beer, right? Well, today isn't really St. Patrick's Day, by the way. Tuesday, St. Patrick's Day, right? But you realize that yesterday you could have been at a St. Patrick's Day party in Charleston and today on Hilton Head and Tuesday you can go to Savannah. And oh, by the way, they've been doing the St. Patrick's Day watch in Savannah for two weeks. We keep hearing about it on the local news. And thank God the bars can serve the alcohol. I'm so thankful. Isn't that what St. Patrick's Day is all about? That's what you think. St. Patrick's Day is about parties and picnics and a parade. What is St. Patrick about? St. Patrick was kidnapped and enslaved in Ireland. And then he escaped and came to the realization because of what the Lord did for him that he would go back and evangelize the very people who enslaved him. That's sacrificial love. And when you hear the word shamrock, by the way, a lot of people think about the shamrock as what? Good luck, right? You know why St. Patrick is famous for the shamrock? Because he used it to illustrate the Trinity to a pagan people. That's why. 
See how we, in our minds, in our culture, we slide into and we can manipulate and rationalize and justify and be pulled away from what truth is really meant to teach us and show us and do in us. Now, I'm not saying that St. Patrick's Day parades and picnics aren't fun. What I am saying is, watch how the culture can infiltrate you to the point that you lose your focus as to what you're called to, or you lose your focus on truth. Because, frankly, I like picnics, and I like parades, and I'll be out there eating hog heaven stuff. That's what happens. And it happens even more as you march through this, when you get to verses 3 and 4, when the snares of death encompass us. See, it's easy to lose focus, and we can use any excuse. It's easy to lose focus when everything is really fun and happy and we have pleasure and, and everything's good and we forget about the Lord. You can also lose focus when we're amidst challenges and struggles. And sometimes we even want to say, where's God? Or, again, what has God done for me lately? He's not really doing it my way, answering my prayer when I want it to be answered. You know, when I hear this phrase, snares of death or cords of death or however you want to put it, whatever version you read, I think of Jonah chapter 2. That very phrase. And if you know the story of Jonah... You're getting all kinds of stories today from the Bible. You get the story of Jonah where the Lord calls him to be a prophet. And the Lord wants to send him to Nineveh of the Assyrians. And Jonah says, that's not for me, and he runs away. Now, if, the, if you knew the word of the Lord was coming to you and it was in such a powerful way and such a tangible way, You know, most of us would say, yeah, that's what I want. That's why I want to have that confidence and faith. What did Jonah do? He ran in the other direction. He didn't listen to the Lord. So on the one hand, Jonah gets in trouble out of his own disobedience, his own unwillingness to follow the Lord's will. Sometimes the snares of death come from satanic attack. You may not believe that. I still do. And Job is an example of that. And we see evil in the world today. So sometimes it's from our own disobedience. Sometimes it's from satanic attack. Sometimes it's just something that happens to us because it's natural in our culture around us. There's sickness, there's disease. We live in a fallen world, like leprosy. Sometimes it's the sin of other people around us that causes our lives to be troubled and struggled. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. No matter what the challenges of your life are, no matter how you may describe or define the snares of death in your life, the struggles, we have the opportunity by the power of the Holy Spirit to be renewed in strength and renewed in faith. We have the opportunity to become one of those who are grateful in the midst of the challenges because, as Jesus says, 
Don't necessarily just give thanks for all these things that you see the Lord doing in your life. Be thankful that your names are written in heaven. In other words, that you have eternal security through Jesus Christ. That you know God's love and you know the gift of the cross and your sins are forgiven. That's where we find the confidence. That's where we find the confidence. That gift of the Holy Spirit filling us. And giving us that sense that it's all going to be okay. And it's all going to be okay in the end. That's the confidence that God wants to give us. You know, the reality is that when we come to Jesus Christ and know Him as Savior and Lord, the next encounter we have with Him that's going to transform us is going to be the encounter of seeing Him face to face in heaven. The question is, what do you do with the in-between? What do you do with the in-between? Because you encounter Jesus as your Savior. And then you encounter Him in heaven as your Lord. But in the meantime, He is meant to be your Lord on earth. The Spirit is meant to fill you. That you live with confidence and strength so that your life overflows with joy and thanksgiving. That's what He wants to do in you. That's what He wants to do with you. No matter the snares of death, because, as the psalmist says, we remember His mercy. We remember His mercy. We remember the gift of God in Jesus Christ. We remember His mercy. We remember His grace. We remember His love. That's what causes us to get that anchor. That anchor that we need amidst the snares of death encompassing us. Thirdly, It's wonderful how this is said in the Pew Bible. He protects the simple. He protects the simple. That is a great line. You know, throughout Scripture, we see references to infants and children, and later on in this psalm, servants. And Jesus talks about the poor in spirit. Over and over again, you get this idea that we need to be Humble before the Lord. That we need to be open before the Lord. Like a child with a loving parent. God, our Father, wants to take us by the hand and lead us. And it really is simple. And so often we want to complicate it. If we only come as a child... If we only come open as if this is our Heavenly Father. That we can empty ourselves so that He can fill us. You know, I've said at times to people, I'm not that bright. 
Some people believe that just a little too readily for me to be comfortable. But I'm not that bright. I'm really not. See, because for me, the gospel is simple. As Jesus came, and he modeled what life is supposed to be like, and he died on a cross in my place for my sin, so that I might be forgiven and redeemed. He rose again from the dead so that I might know that he has a power over sin and death. And that I might have eternal life. And he sends the Spirit and he gives us his word to guide us. That's pretty basic. That's pretty simple. And that's what he invites us into. This simplicity. And notice what he says to his apostles. Did you notice what he said? Kings and prophets have longed to see what you see. In other words, there's been these great people in the past. There's great people now. And I'm showing it to you, fishermen, common people, because it's simple. And Jesus said, suffer the children to me. The children, because his message and his gift is simple. And that's what he wants to offer to us, the simplicity of this relationship. It is simple, yes, but it is costly. It is costly. Because when you take his hand, he leads and guides. When he says, you must follow me and take up your cross, there's a cost. See, the problem is, we're smart enough to know that. So we complicate it. We really do. We complicate it. You know how we complicate it? One way we complicate it is by religiosity. Oh, come on, there's so many ways that we have to be holy and religious and church people. Give me a break. It is not about appearing like you're a good person. It it is about living in a love relationship with Jesus Christ and allowing His Spirit to fill you and walking by His Word. We want to complicate it by worldliness. How can I live in the world and be successful and happy and experience pleasure and have everything I want and, oh, by the way, maybe fit Christianity in a little bit here and there? And so we rationalize and so we compromise and we justify and it gets complicated and messy. We lie. We cheat. Boy, you want to see something get complicated and messy, just start a string of lies. That's why I like simple. I prefer just telling the truth. Because it's so much more simple. You don't have to have a great memory or anything. Do you see how we complicate it? And God just calls us to the simplicity of that relationship with Him, of trusting Him, of walking with Him, of living according to His Word, and we want to complicate it. You know, 
We are meeting this week to talk about our Tanzania trip. And I've been to short-term mission trips in Mexico, Dominican Republic, Honduras, and Tanzania. And every time I go and I see these children, these children who live in third world countries, or as we're supposed to say today, because that's kind of put downish, developing countries, who have nothing. They do not have material possessions like we have. They do not have the prospect of success like not only we have the opportunity, but we want for our children and grandchildren. And so often our children and grandchildren, we cause them to be demanding. We cause them to be self-centered. That we don't find contentment and joy like you do in these third world countries where they have nothing. What they have is a simple faith. What they have is loving parents. What they have is the ability to enjoy what they've been blessed with simply around them. Because God has blessed them in so many ways that's critical and important. And they understand the need to trust him, to walk with Him because He is their hope. And they just overflow with joy and thanksgiving. They're thankful for everything you do. See, and we complicate it. It takes years in cultivation, particularly as we become adults, but we complicate it as we get older because we mess it up with worldliness and poor decisions and compromise. And God wants to say it's simple. Just love me. Allow my spirit to enter you and transform you. Just to hear what my word says about this life. So the psalmist says, I will make vows. I will make vows. says it twice. See, because what the psalmist understands is that the vows is about commitment because that's what love is all about. Love isn't just about a feeling. It isn't just about my self-centered, self-gratification, pleasure. Love is a vow, a commitment that says, I give myself to you. I give myself to you. It's a decision. It's a decision of the will. And as we've been walking through the Psalms, Psalm 1, there's two ways you choose. Psalm 100, the promise of joy. Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come? Again, it's about a choice. And now Psalm 116, the joy and the thanksgiving that comes with trusting Him, loving Him. And we have the choice. It's a decision of the will. And the question is, will you choose Him? Will you say, I love you? And I trust you no matter what comes. 
comes in my life. And I vow to give myself to you until I see you face to face. Will you choose? Please bow with me in prayer. Lord, when I go to other countries and I see the poverty materially, and yet I see the joy and the thanksgiving overflowing, I marvel. And I wonder. And I pray if only that could be me, my children, even where I live. And Lord, you say in your word, it's simple to be as an infant, to be as a child, to be as a servant, to be poor in spirit, humble, open, as a child that reaches out to the hand of a loving father. Lord, I pray this day that you would help us to keep in the front of our minds the gift of your son, Jesus, the model of his life, the depth of his love, that he died on a cross for us that we might give our lives in return. That we might understand true conversion, real conversion. A love that has commitment and self-sacrifice. Lord, I pray this day that everyone would have made that decision and be filled with your Spirit and empowered to love that we might be filled with thanksgiving to you and thankful for the gifts, the family and the friends that you surround us with and the simple pleasures of life that you grant us until we see you face to face. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.